I'm Alex Rybczynski. I'm Angie Czech. I'm Barbara Stewart. I'm Ben Joseph Stewart. I'm Bliss Young. I'm Marin Green. I'm Natasha Kingsbury. I am Dr. Jacob Egbert. I'm Sarah Gustafson. I'm Valerie Jacobson. And this is the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. Connection and community as the new currency. What on earth is this man talking about? And how does this fit into a podcast directed at improving the care of women? Well, let me tell you. My friend Mark Groves, who is the creator, producer, the face of the Mark Groves podcast, is an exceptional human. He's one of the f- my very favorite people that I got to get close to in 2021. Some others might be Jason Picard, Jared Picard, Kyle Kingsbury, Tosh Kingsbury, Josh Trent, Carrie Michelle, uh, Alex Rubchinsky, Sarah Gustafson, so many great people. And they all happen to be, all those people I just listed happen to be in the... Um, Austin area, but Mark Groves, Ryan Sprague, there's so many lovely people that I've just gotten to be such close friends with. And uh, Mark and I even had a little bromance around Thanksgiving and, and kind of honored one another in that way. Like, it's just so nice to meet other men who are conscious and thoughtful and willing to be vulnerable and, 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 and approach life with a little bit of humility. And I think Mark Groves fits that bill. He got his start in the pharmaceutical industry and then realized, man, I'm selling these drugs. I'm I'm pushing these drugs on doctors and other prescribers. And I don't think they're doing all that much. In fact, they may actually be hurting people. We got into statins and all these other medications that he was like, you know, I just, I'm making good money. I'm doing great work here, but I don't feel good about what I'm doing. And so then he parted ways with the pharmaceutical industry and created a platform that is huge. If you haven't checked him out on Instagram, please go do that. I'll put all the links for how to find Mark later. One thing that he and I really bonded on was that if we're going to build a new world, how are we going to invest in one another? You know, a lot of people, they reach out to some individuals and they're like, yeah, you know, we want to uh, build something together. Let's collaborate, right? And it's this sort of mutually beneficial, but there's always somebody up on top, right? Somebody has more money. Somebody has more resources. Somebody has something that you want. And as long as we're building communities that is based on a sort of like a one person seeking something from another person. We're going to end up with some sort of hierarchical structure, this patriarchal hierarchical structure that we've all grown so tired of. So if you had a billion dollars and you're at the top of the mountain with your beautiful 15-room home and your infinity pool and this and that, is that necessarily going to lead to happiness? Maybe for some, but there's a lot of people with a lot of money out there who are working so hard in this rat race that they forget to stop and hug their wife, hug their kids, and really just enjoy what they've built. So in this episode, we talk a lot about some of those mental, emotional, heart-centered barriers that we have to connecting with one another. And the reason that this is relevant to the care of women is that there's this transactional nature between most people in the healthcare system. But what if somebody was going to care for you just because that's what humans do? What if humans just cared for humans because that's the way that the world could or should be? I'm not here to push the should on anybody. Shoulda, woulda, coulda don't help. But if we were to imagine the new world, or in Charles Eisenstein's words, the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible, what is our currency? And our currency that is emerging, the, the more important currency, way more than all the fiat crap that we all talk about, 
even more important than crypto and some of these other new technologies, it's going to be connection and community. And that's why Mark Groves is so special. He does an astonishing job of breaking down the mental, emotional barriers of what prohibits true human connection, whether it's with our mom, our partner, our kids, man to man. And through his channels, this is what Mark is bringing to the world. He's not toting bags of samples of statins any longer. Now he's toting wisdom and humility in how he engages with his community and with his neighbors and with his new friends living in Kentucky, like me. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I really, really, really loved this conversation with Mark, and I think you will too. So without further ado, here's my conversation with the one and only Mark Groves. My friend Mark Groves, it's been a long time coming, man, that we got to actually record one of our conversations because you and I are always ripping and spitting, and um, I'm just so glad you're here. So thanks for coming. Oh man, I'm so excited to be here. Uh, what a what an honor to be trusted with the people who trust you. Well, I, I can say the same about your podcast because when you had me on your show, I can't tell you how what a flood of traffic came over to my podcast and to my Instagram and. People were saying, like, we need more of this type of conversation. So I'm glad we had to continue and kind of pick up where we left off from last time. And so um, I'm just, I'm very, very grateful to have you here, Mark. Yeah. I think we could start off by talking about something you and I did dabble in a little bit, which is, you know, you and I are both well-connected. We both have a lot of friends. We take care of the people in our lives. That takes priority. And I can say that for sure from the bottom of my heart. And I know that about you. On your podcast the Mark Groves podcast, you talk a lot about connection. And I want to talk to you today, primarily, we'll start off with, as the world is changing, which it does every so often, I think people right. are starting to realize that the fiat means of, of connecting with people and, and, inter, and exchanging energy with, with one another is, is lesser important, uh, is of less importance than the, the amount and quality of our connections. So let's talk about community and connection as currency. I'll just kick it off there. I'll just throw that out in like the ether. That. Yeah, yeah, that's a nice softball. <laughs> I mean, I think it's in the absence of the experience of community that we often realize the value of it. I don't know that we really recognize if we've been surrounded by good, loving, safe, secure people, uh, and that could be a large amount of people listening, and it could be a small amount. And you know, the spectrum of the human experience is that. I'd say even if you come from a good home, you might not have had attuned parents. And that's the nature. That's probably a whole other conversation, but that's the nature of our systems, mm. which uh, in so many ways don't allow for that. And there's so many balls being held in the air by our parents. And if they've never learned things like attunement and nervous system information, who's learned that? Like shit, yeah. you don't learn that till you have time to or till you have the privilege of being able to do that, which really isn't that what awakening is, is asking questions like, why do I do that? Who am I? What do I want? And community, when those things are valued, which doesn't have to be a community of wealth, look, a lot of historical tribes have that sort of ethos. And just like taking this time to really sit down and break bread and have dinner and share these moments. You know, when you look at the last couple of years, what could have been learned from anyone who's even experienced attunement is that 
unconsciously we've been taught things like other people are dangerous, mm. healthy people, healthy people, you know, especially with this idea that it's this lurking thing. And I'm, I'm speaking in the context of COVID, but obviously I don't want to spend the whole time talking yeah. about something like yeah, because uh, that's easy to be a runaway train. But just like the unconscious experience is we're also not seeing smiles. We're putting masks on kids, which affects development. You know, realizing like the absence of community is devastating mm. to our bodies. It's a large source of inflammation, I would say, if not all outside of like the nutrition and the things like that. But the presence of community is exactly the opposite. It's so nourishing. And you, know, you think we think of mm. nourishment, we think of food, uh, but nourishment is literally everything. And I say this with a, an accountability to myself because I nourish myself with data in the news sometimes, which is not nourishing in any way. Um, but we nourish ourselves through everything we put our attention into, every um, relationship we invest in. Um, and relationship being not just people, but substances technology you know where what conversations are we having all of this is so important <laughs> and uh and something we can all control and change yeah yeah man i mean we, we could go so many directions with that tell me a little bit about attunement tell me about that practice and sort of how you've how you've had to incorporate and learn about that for your own well-being well in relationship if we don't actually know how to regulate ourselves how can we even be really in dialogue with our partners. That's right. Talking romantic, you know, and if we're parents and I'm not a parent, and as they say, you give the best parenting advice until you're a parent. <laughs> so consider this advice fantastic uh, from my lens, which is in, from a parenting perspective, you know, how can you be a safe regulated space for your child? If you actually haven't figured out how to be a safe and regulated space for yourself. So really attunement is not, it is really people can witness it right now. Like we're in a calm state. We're paying attention to one another. We have digital eye contact for whatever that's worth. We're really, our, our pace and cadence is pretty calm. Yeah. Maybe for people listening, it's maybe bringing some ease to them. Attunement is really that, Hey, if I need you, are you going to be here? Yeah. And when the world gets scary, will you be a safe place? And and will I be a safe place for myself? Because we can learn regulation through co-regulation. Like I can learn to regulate my nervous system by being around someone who's regulated. And as I said, like it's, if you've never learned it and you like look up your family tree, like my mom, she was responsible for three kids. She was always holding so many balls in the air. I have so much compassion for how stressed she was when we were young. And the, the sort of price of that or the consequence of that is that I didn't get a lot of attunement, which doesn't mean I had a horrible childhood. We just have to connect to the reality that life is going to life and the world's going to world. Right. And right. right, like, how do we bring ourselves back to this stasis, which ironically, I think is what Buddhism has always tried to do, what maybe mushrooms offer, or psychedelic experiences offer, this like ability to touch something that is peaceful that's always available yeah and i had to learn how to do that because when i was in conflict with partners i would shut down i would withdraw i would ran from women who could love me and ran towards ones who were running away which is not a really great practical uh idea when you're seeking relationship but i feel like it's the common experience yeah you, you mentioned parenthood and i am i am a father i've got two little girls now 
and I don't think we're necessarily going to have any more. I think we're pretty determined not to, but uh, because two is a lot. But um, one one thing that came to mind is that I don't know if I ever really had to. I was never forced to appreciate what you're saying until you realize that this little baby does not need the dad to do anything except to just be present with their pain. Right. And when you're a baby, you're hurting. Your teeth are coming in. You might need. You might have a poopy diaper and your boop burpee, and you got some poop issues, and you got everything happening all at once, and you don't have the language to express it, so they just cry. And yeah. oftentimes, dads are like, oh, I don't know what to do, and they hand the baby over because they think that the baby just needs breast milk, you know? And so my wife and I had to work through that, and about six months in, I realized, man, there's a part of me that's not willing to be open and to accepting of just this child's need to be seen as um, being safe in my arms. Mm. Mm. so for people who don't have kids ever you aren't missing out on anything necessarily but when you do <laughs> have children it does force you to reconcile this issue that you're describing which is never modeled for us necessarily it has to be a right. self exploration and i ended up having to get through that through a, a very very deep mushroom journey actually and uh, finding myself with all the information, my identity was secure and that I knew everything in the world. And then I found myself empty and, and alone. Yeah. And so part of what I, you know, I woke up and I saw the bassinet and it just was four hours of, of waterworks from there. And the next little onesie that I folded was the greatest experience of my life, having the privilege to take care of this little baby, even though I don't have breast milk, even though it's maybe not my scent or some special maternal instinct that we think women are somehow magically imbued with, which they are to some degree. But as the dad, all that this baby needed was me to say, hey, I'm here with you right now, and I see that you're going through something, and there's nothing to fix. It is just holding space for the experience of being a baby. But if you were to take that experience and put it into any challenging relationship we have, that's the exact same experience over and over and over again that we keep, we keep slipping on the, sl the skateboard, you know? And that's so interesting. You think of, you know, I often consider that we try to save people from feelings we don't know how to sit in, or we try right. to hand them off, you know? And, you know, when you know the value of grief, when you know the value of loss, when you know the value of joy, when you know the value of sitting within one's own experience, you don't try to save people from it. But of course, like if that's not modeled for us, which I would say as a large part, even culturally, familially, religiously, which I think there's so much overlap in all those things, mm. they're often synonymous. How would one be able to do that? How can a whole society who watches the news actually even co-regulate? You know, mm. you think about how reactive we are to really anything that causes uh, offense or disagreement or even just emotional reactivity it's we're in a very hypervigilant state and you um, then add to that, you know, a worldwide quote unquote pandemic. And I don't use those quotes to negate <laughs> the seriousness of it, but rather just to allow context to exist in it or, or nuance. And we don't as a collective have the capacity to even disagree with grace really much anymore. Not that we were always great at it, but I'd say in the last 10, 15 years, but especially in the last three, yeah. we cannot disagree and be in love. We cannot disagree. Now, of course, couples can do it generally, sometimes, 
But as a collective, can we? You know, you see this incessant need to put people in boxes and to like create these binaries. And we use words like left or right, right. Or, or anti. And again, you know, not to impose any sort of moral or value-based uh, assignment to either of those things, but isn't it so fascinating that even using those words somehow triggers emotional reactivity and then even desires to group them together to try to make the world make more sense, to try to feel more safe, yeah, yeah. try to predict. But, you know, like, isn't the real, the essence of family or community and even powerful human systems, but any system and just look at how the universe, the world is orchestrated, is that diversity is actually superpower, right? Like yeah. diverse thinking, diverse cultures, diverse uh, biomes, like, like all of it is actually the same thing. And it requires all this complexity. And I think like, I was just talking about this the other day, just thinking like, how crazy is it that we actually think we can put ourselves in such a finite space of such narrow identities? And then why do we do it, you know? And, and how do we create communities that are actually places of restoration rather than exile? And I mean, that we have to do the work of welcoming all the parts of ourselves that we've exiled. We have to welcome those back to even begin to create families and friendships that operate on the same principles of forgiveness and integration. Yeah, I think that this is, as we peel back the, the layers of the onion of what's going on in the world right now, I do think we tend to forget, we, we become so reactive to the, to the uh, issue at hand, and we need the answer. And you, you mentioned we've got our political parties, or we've got our religious organizations, or even mom and dad. Right. And instead of stopping and really pausing and thinking about, you know, there's two questions I ask every client or anybody that really I'm close to, who are you and what are you doing here? Mm. Um, without considering that, you know, we, we tend to just be reactive and, and we, I think we somehow, um, I, this is kind of going off topic a little bit, but you got my mind spinning in so many different directions, which you, you are, are so good at doing because <laughs> you're so intelligent and you're so thoughtful about these things. We think that we're doing the right thing for communities when we turn to these higher ideals, right? And, and they're advertised as like, hey, we're the experts. We've got the thing that you need. All that you need right. to do is implement A plus B and you'll get C, which is the outcome you want, right? Um, mm -hmm. And this goes into our taxation system. This goes in, into how we've, we've, we've sort of opted to be governed, right, by these, these higher powers, whether it's their church, our households, or our uh, political organizations, what's lacking there is the sort of the sort of conscious answering of that question, like, who am I and what am I doing here? Mm. And I feel like in some ways, we've been sort of fooled to th into thinking that there's somebody else with the better answer. There's somebody else out there that knows how to do this better. And I mean, even as a dad, it's like, how many parenting books can you read before you're like, fuck it? <laughs> right. Oh, my daughter just needs me to hold her. Yeah, about anything. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm really, you know, any comments on that and that part? Because I, I have a, another question I want to ask you. Well, you know, it's like, we're always in this incessant need to be somewhere other than here. You know, it's like <laughs> right. this, this moment is somehow just the stepping stone to a better moment, mm. which is, you know, there's a grief to that. Because I, I am experiencing it, you know, just in saying that, because 
think about how many moments we have bypassed or wished for something different and then not actually garnering the nutrition that is in it, the right. information, the beauty. Think of all the emotions that we have been socialized to exile, right? Like mm. grief, anger. And I'm not talking about aggression, but like healthy, transformative anger. Yeah. And anger really cultivates boundaries. It says no more. It changes systems. It causes revolutions. It it really engages in the act of creating freedom, right? And think about like for emotion in general, we, we are taught that there are negative emotions and then there are positive emotions. But that whole construct is actually totally false because emotions are really just informing you about your environment. And when we're taught that these emotions are bad and they actually infer that there's something wrong with you, as opposed, imagine if we just like took the perspective, there's actually something incredibly right with you and you're actually so wise. And these feelings that you may have been raised to ignore red flags because your family was full of red flags. Yeah. Maybe you were raised to ignore the chaos that existed in the lack of attunement that your parent had, or even they weren't even around, or the system you grew up in, depending on you know what race you are, where you come from, what culture, you know, all the different things that contribute to this. That like imagine if they were actually all seen as informing yeah. you to transform your life and your environment, which you know makes I ran across the quote from Buddha recently, which is pretty easy to do because you know Buddha's everywhere. And <laughs> he's here with us right now, actually. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, what's up? He's got a mic. And you know, it's that quote that the trouble is you think you have time. That I think is one of the most interesting human conundrums is like time, like just this being on this plane that operates in this linear space and then playing with what that even means. But realizing, you know, it, it makes me think of a Wayne Dyer quote that is, don't die with the music still inside you. Mm. And so many of us put off the conversation, the ending, the beginning, the reclamation, the birth, the remembering, whatever it might be, thinking that participating in this system where everyone is rewarded to forget where everyone is rewarded and reminded through marketing that the pain that exists can be solved by this new car or this new computer or this new whatever phone this new instagram post this new arousal this new whatever it is right yeah and you like think about how powerful it is when you actually stop and actually get present and begin the the act of you know, I used to think it was like giving birth mm. to who you are. Mm. Uh, but I think that actually infers that you don't already know and, and that you haven't. And so I think a lot of the beginning of what community can do and what connection can do through its frictions mm. is actually allow us to remember, you know, and, and that requires grace and patience and stillness and all the things. Man. I'm so glad we're friends. One, <laughs> what, one important thing that I, I want to add to that stream of thought is, and I remember I'm a hospice doctor. Everybody knows me as the holistic OBGYN, which I'm happy to wear that moniker, but I also have this other hat. So for as many births as I've sat with, I've probably sat with twice as many deaths. Mm. And that has informed the way that I care for women in birth, but I don't actually see the two differently. And I won't go on that tangent right now, but what I have learned in talking to people as they're being faced with mortality for perhaps the first time in their life 
at, at the end of their life, when they're diagnosed with X, Y, or Z, suddenly now a clock starts ticking and doctors use language like, well, you only have six months or you only have whatever. What I always tell people is they'll say like, I'm a fighter. I've got a lot of willpower. I'm not ready to go. That part of the conversation is not interesting to me. What is interesting is if we can reframe and, and remind people right now, you're all dying. If you can remember right now that you, when you were born into this beautiful body that you have, that is perfect in every way, and your feet are planted in the earth school, and you get to feel the soil, and you get to feel the sunshine, you get to move your body in ways that you never thought was possible. You get to dance, you get to have sex, you get to scream from the mountains. Like When you were born into the body that allows you to do that, you didn't get a vote as to whether or not you actually have to leave this body sometime. That was the one catch. You get to do this thing. And right now, what I'm doing with you, Mark, is we're exchanging energy and information. We're loving one another, digitally albeit, and hopefully someday we'll be able to embrace one another and we'll be shirtless on top of a mountain together, you know? But <laughs> I like it. So the one thing that people don't, everybody listening to this, you don't get a vote on as to whether or not you die. In fact, it's a privilege to die. What you do get a vote on is what does your time look like from now until then? And this isn't meant to be whimsical or metaphysical. Very, like, I'm being very, very concrete. Yeah, yeah, very, very literal. So what are you afraid of in being vulnerable with the person that you love more than anybody in the world? Or you're holding your baby. What do you have to lose if you don't get to that next call and you instead say, you know what, that can wait. I need to be here with my little girl. Mm. Like, what are you actually missing out on if you're just a little vulnerable, you shed some tears, you forget about being guilty or shameful or whatever else, and you're actually just present and with them. Likewise, what do you have to lose if you shift your business approach and you go totally bankrupt? Who the hell cares? Like, yes, you're going to have to work on rebuilding. And yes, things might be hard for a little while. But since you don't have a vote as to whether or not you die someday, and not to sound too cliche, but like, what are you waiting for? There is no clock. Right. The clock is, is, is this fabrication of something. The real clock, it's not even a clock. It's your soul is here for a period of time. And no matter what the clock says, whether you have a thousand minutes to, to midnight or you've got a million, right now is, is, is right now. And this is, it's, it's, you know, Eckhart Tolle, Deepak Chopra. I mean, every, all the contemporary mystics talk about this. So, so what are we waiting for? What are we so worried about? And I suppose that's an indoctrination from the powers that be, whether it's our, our parents or the religions or the, you know, our failure. Yeah. 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 You know, isn't that so like that, that key that is to human behavior on the sort of literal psychological level of evolutionary biology, which plays in, right? Because I really think we're constantly in this negotiation of, I have this soul that's sort of ageless and, and it doesn't really understand time. And then I have this meat suit that is sort of in some ways a slave to time. And so it's like, from a psychological perspective, when it comes to community and groups, what operates at just like a baseline level is and, and Gabor Mate talks about this, that all humans have two needs. We have the need for self-expression and authenticity, and we have the need for belonging. But when self-expression and authenticity threaten belonging, belonging usually wins. Mm. And that's sort of the nature. Like if it's whenever anyone says well, you're not normal, I'm always so grateful for that. 
Like you're abnormal, you're weird. I'm like, great. Because what normal is, which is so normal and is the experience I had till I didn't and still sometimes do, is actually silencing oneself to maintain stasis yeah. of the system. Yeah. And what happens is, is we're really organizing ourselves and our self-expression and our dreams. And they all go to die if the pursuit of the dream means absence of belonging. And there's this huge shift that sort of occurs generally when you begin to self-express, when you begin to use boundaries, when you begin to co-regulate, mm. is that you begin to experience that if you're willing to say what is true at the cost of potentially the cost of that relationship, you've brought truth into the relationship as the thing that is most sacred. And then the relationship or relationships have to orient around that, which is ultimately what all relationships want to do because the truth exists regardless of whether you say it or not. And so most of our coping strategies are actually to cope with the absence of acknowledgement of truth. And what happens when you speak it or express it or whatever it is, is that the, shit, the system is then invited to orient around you and the relationships, like instead of not belonging to the family, the group, the relationship, you actually experience something so foreign, which is the belonging to self. And we might have experienced that maybe mildly as a child, um, maybe even a lot if you have parents who recognize the value of that. And you might have run into people or mentors or teachers, which really ultimately are saying, be you and yeah. then watch the world adjust. Right. And right. On a very biological nervous system level, that's so fucking terrifying because when you don't belong on a survival level, you're going to die. And I think there's an absence often of just compassion for how to sit in this space between that and this new birth yeah. and belonging. Yeah. Where all of a sudden you run into people like you or to, you know, the people that we hold community with who are actually like, oh, you being your most authentic self with grace and kindness and all that stuff is actually what I most want for you. Yeah, yeah. And that's why when someone expresses a desire or a boundary or self-expresses and maybe it influences my emotion, I'm always so grateful that they trust the connection enough to hold that. And, you know, I think it's ironic and sad and good and all the feelings that when you liberate yourself you inherently liberate everyone around you they just don't often know it yet and yeah. they want to claim back to the familiar certain identities the binaries the lefts the rights the antis the pros but when you actually have space for your own complexity you can actually dance in the complexity of systems you can dance in the complexity of another human it's like if someone calls me a name which is still work i'm doing but having a social profile when someone attacks you, calls you names, I can get to the place where I sit with grace of where they came to that from and learn how to stay in my center. And to me, this is like what all relationships do is invite us to like, where are you not liberated? Yeah. Yeah. Because when you cut the strings of your own codependencies or like ways you try to take care of people, ways you try to not ruffle the system or ruffle feathers when you cut those strings, they're hanging. Yeah. And the other people depend on you still holding up the other end of the string. And so they feel like they're tumbling. And that's why often, you know, in the work of Harriet Lerner, she talks about how whenever, and the book's called um, 
dance of intimacy or dance of anger, both of them are exceptional. She talks about how when you place a boundary for the first time, the other person will often make a massive counter move because they're not comfortable with the way that the relationship is reorienting around something else, like yeah. true boundaries, like uh, self-respect or whatever it might be. I think it's safe to say if you're listening to this podcast, you're interested in finding the best information and best products on the market to optimize your health and the health of your family. I want you to consider what Organifi brings to the picture. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I. And I want you to go to their website and just pause and think about what this company represents. All of their products are organic. They're all gluten-free. They're all glyphosate residue-free. They're all non-GMO. And they pack more nutrition into a single scoop than anything else out there. So I'm drinking right now Organifi's Gold Juice. And the label promotes this as a rest and relaxation elixir. It's best served hot. I drink mine cold. I just mix it up with some water. But it's also very good as a replacement for tea and coffee. It promotes restful sleep, supports immune system, has this creamy, delicious flavor and texture. And right now, my wife and I are potty training our two-year-old. So we're not sleeping a lot. She's having accidents in the middle of the night and calling out to us. And of course, we also have a four-month-old. She's waking us up all the time. And when your body starts to get run down like that, there's only one thing you can do. It's not like we can decide to get a good night's sleep. You know, all we can do is hope that tonight's going to be a good night and we can get a full night of rest, which, by the way, I recommend eight to, eight to nine hours. And that's just not always possible. So I feel better. I feel less high strung. I feel just a little bit easier going when my nutritional reserves are, are, are maximized. And Organifi does that really, really well. So go to Organifi.com, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash beloved. You'll see some of my favorite products there. I recommend Organifi's Gold Juice for all the reasons I've already elaborated. And if you use code beloved, you will save 20% on your purchase. Can't recommend it enough. Go and support Organifi. Let's get back to my conversation now with Mark Groves. Yeah. As you were speaking, I was immediately going back into the past three years that everybody's been living through. And this is actually kind of took this from Charles Eisenstein's work. He wrote an essay called The Coronation right at the beginning of the pandemic back in 2020. So beautiful. Such Everyone a beautiful essay. Yeah, that's a great essay. We'll link that in the show notes, including all the other titles that you mentioned. In his essay, I remember I was at work. I had gone back from maternity leave to a job that I was soon to leave because I was in this hospital system that was doing all the things and I, I just really couldn't resonate with it, you know, and this is related to COVID, of course, but it wasn't that I didn't trust the vaccine or I didn't trust masks or whatever else. It was that we were willing to compromise connection to our patients for the sake of aiming our missiles out into the sea of possible enemies and right. finding something that we thought we could control. When really mm -hmm. what, what's at the heart of most challenges within our very advanced, something we should be very proud of as a society, really the work is, is to be done in here. And all the judgments and all the guilt and the shame and all this, the, the divisiveness and everything else is something that wasn't being addressed. And if at any time in our history, this is actually the enemy, is the language we're using and the, the alienation we're using. And so in his essay, he actually proposed a bit of a thought experiment that I think I probably have 
changed it a little bit around, but I started asking people in my life who were actually very critical of me as to how I was, uh, as a physician, representing the systems at large in my messaging. And uh, this is before I was even on Instagram or anything else, Had the po- didn't even yeah. have the podcast. But I asked people, if you could live 10 more years, right, and you can love people in any way that you thought they needed to be loved, and you could receive love in all the ways that you wanted to be loved, that's option A. Or you could live for 50 years, but you're going to be locked away in your home. You're never going to, your kids are never going to see people's faces again. You're never even going to be able to go to your mother's house and hug her or have Thanksgiving dinner, open Christmas gifts, whatever it is that your traditions are. Go out to like some rave in the desert, making out with strangers on Molly, whatever it is, whatever <laughs> oh, yeah. the thing is that, that you're thinking back to, it's like, wow, I love doing that thing. You're not allowed to do any of those things anymore, but you're going to live five times longer, 50 years versus 10 years of really living true to who you are. Everybody chooses that first option. I would take 10 years of connecting and loving and being intimate with the people that I love the most, or even people I don't know yet, and I want to get to know them better. But in in the what has unfolded in the past couple of years has been the fast backwards version of that in which as long as we can control what's coming into our homes, into our personal space, hey, we're going to stay alive. The same people that were critical of me and that have been very in support of the, whatever the narrative is. And again, I don't, we don't even need to get into that because everybody knows what we're talking about. They did choose option A, but they're like, option A, but they can't shake. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. With some caveats and maybe like, just like one of those years, can I get 40 other years <laughs> if I just, it's like this negotiation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it just really shows where our priorities are. And I think if we want to yeah. see a new world emerge that we can all, where we can all be ourselves and live in a, in a, a real state of truth and freedom, we have to get our priorities straight. And I think up until the pandemic stuff started happening, I started seeing like, it seemed like the world was opening up to the idea that, hey, maybe it's not just your politicians and your doctors and your priests that have the answers. Maybe there is something to this, this metaphysical new age nonsense, right? And then suddenly the pandemic happened and bam, Big Pharma is now the leader and Bill Gates of all fucking people is the one giving, you know, helping dictate the sweater vest. policy. It's the sweater vest. If I only is. just had saved my sweater vest from Harvard, God, I would have been up there yeah, too with him. So what do you see happening, Mark, in the, in the coming years? I mean, you and I live in, a, in our own sort of bubbles, but um, I don't feel like my life has been diminished at all. If anything, my life has become richer over the past couple of years. I'm curious, how, how have things been for you and, and how do you see things going in the next, I don't know, 10 years or so? What would you like to see happen? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's such a beautiful, explicit question to ask people, like if you could choose this versus that. And of course, the people choose the more richer, adventurous experience. You know, it's like with everything, we like want to know the risk. We want to know the outcome. We want to know, we want to predict. And, you know, like you so beautifully said about the story of what people experience in palliative care is you realize everything that's really important to you when you are told that you have an expiration date. Right. But we all have one. And that's sort of the interesting thing. Like in the journey of being birthed, you are already decaying. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's a really, although you're expanding and there will be a time that you're being maybe on some level looks older and 
I think there's a large conversation about how you expect to be at a certain age versus the vitality that you can cultivate and create when right. you reject, again, these constructs. Because it's like my real awakening occurred when I was participating in a life event. I got engaged and then it made me stop in my tracks because I thought, well, I'm so overtly anxious and emotional about this experience. I'm terrified. And of course, people just said to me, you're afraid of commitment, hmm. devaluing any emotional experience I might have again, trying to reinforce that as a man, I'm just afraid of commitment and I should just be sort of walked off the plank of marriage, you know, <laughs> not realizing like, why can't I be so excited to sprint towards it? Why shouldn't love feel a place that I become more of myself? Not that I go, not to say that compromise can't exist, but where self-abandonment doesn't exist. Mm. When I finally stopped because I had to, because my emotionality made me have to, and I think that is the gift of things like anxiety and depression, is that they root you. They say, pay attention. And then, you know, we are often reflected to take this thing, to not have to pay attention. When I finally started to ask, like, how did I get here? Like, I spent up till I was 27, I spent my whole time living every part of the story I was taught to live, become a good provider, go to the university, take this course, do this. Don't become a, a teacher, a psychologist, a artist, anything that can't make money. <laughs> right. Right. And I mean, you, you accepted the full invitation and went into medicine. And big mistake if you want to make money, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. I, I went into pharmaceutical sales. So that's the other side of it. Yeah. You know, and, in, in insured, like how I wanted to be perceived. I made good money. But when I started to actually ask, do I want to be part? Because what I've been part of actually meant me leaving myself. Mm. And then I woke up to like how many decisions I made that I was taught to make, not actually, they were authentic to the version I was at the time. But all of a sudden, I when I started to ask questions, I saw that there was like 95% more of who I actually yeah. was. Yeah. Than yeah. a guy with frosted tips and a puka shell <laughs> necklace, you know, not to dismiss those things because they were fucking super cool at the time. And that, I think, when we think about what kind of life we want to live and yeah. like what kind of communities we want to create, what kind of family we want to have, what kind of connections we want to experience, you know, so many of us are holding up these masks. And when you take yours off, you invite everybody to take them off, which is not dissimilar to the telling the truth fractures, anything held together by lies. Mm. And, you know, like we look at all the systems that are operating around us that are really in very fragile states, because if there's one thing that I've seen in the last three years, even though there's been lots of division, there's been far more people asking questions because as someone who was a pharmaceutical rep for 14 years, you know, I have experience in marketing. I know when it's being done to me and I have experience in understand. I used to build key opinion leaders. I used to build people who became famous in certain aspects of medicine, wow. you know, and I, like when I say build position them in places of authority and I launched number, a number of drugs. I withdrew a number of drugs from the market and you know, when I look at what has occurred, I really started to ask, you know, I was probably like most people, maybe you were different, but at the beginning I was like, oh, this is fucking crazy. Like people are falling on their face in China. Like this is nuts. These videos that went around, mm -hmm. I have yet to see that actually happen to someone, you know, outside of from a heart attack, you know, and 
I was like, well, maybe this vaccine will be good. Maybe it will be something I need to take to save me from this very terrifying thing. And I'm just grateful that I was trained on reading clinical trials and making assessments. And like anything I might put in my body, I wanted to understand it. And when I started to read on it, I was like, wait, this data doesn't look as compelling as it's been sold. And, you know, that gets into relative risk reduction and absolute yeah, of risk. course. Of and course. then how the data was being recorded. That was really interesting to me. I was like, why? I used to sell a drug that used the PCR test. So I was familiar with that. That was another orange flag, red flag for me. And then I was like, why wouldn't you want the most accurate data to make the best decisions? Right. And so I think like for what I've had to not just struggle with, but through the struggle in body is that I'm not crazy. That like me belonging to this truth, feeling the truth of the integrity, feeling the truth of my intuition, which desperately wants to, again, create identities, you know, because I've felt ostracized based on my curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not anti. I'm not anti in any way. I, some of the people I love most in the world uh, have gotten the vaccine. And it's made me have to cultivate so much unconditional love because, you know, it's like whenever you ostracize or, de or give an identity even to someone to try to put them in a box, like you dehumanize them. Right. But whenever you dehumanize anybody, you dehumanize yourself. And you know, I was listening to Ram Das the other day and he was saying, like, how can one possibly look at all the suffering in the world and not be overwhelmed? Yeah. And he said that whenever we are handed something, and this is what I think really COVID has done for us, but any challenge, any loss, any friction is, is it has asked us to bear in some ways the unbearable, both psychologically, fear-based, emotionally, all the things. It doesn't matter what position we're in. The idea of position just tries to move us away from the of course. somatic experience of what I'm saying, which is... When you're being asked to bear the unbearable, a part of you must die. And that's mm -hmm. the part who could hold it. And I think so much of how much I wasn't able to hold before this. I wasn't, not until very recently, able to hold the absolute true unconditional complexity of an opposite. An opposite perspective. An opposite. You know, I had a friend tell me that they couldn't be in relationship with me because I was too right wing. <laughs> and I was like former me would have been like, fuck you, I'm right wing, I've, which might have been a typical thing to say, actually. But what was interesting is I just got so curious in the pain of being exiled, which was what was occurring. And I said, tell me more about that. Like, where has that been evident? And, you know, he said to me, actually, you're right, you haven't said anything that's right wing. It's just your position on mandates. And I was like, wow, okay, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, isn't that so fascinating that you've created this false dichotomy that isn't true, but why does it benefit you to make it true? And what is the cost to me if I let it be right. a cost to me? Right. But I held it with unconditional love. And that has been a, the part of me that had to die to be able to do that was the part that didn't know how to do that because no one had ever really done it fully unconditionally for me, at least not that I could understand at the time. And so, you know, a long way around the barn to get to the answer of like, what do I see for the next 10 years? I mean, my hope is that this has actually been, and I feel like it's true, a sort of radical awakening in a lot of ways. And 
the systems as they're constructed, which Charles talks about a lot too, and you talk about, uh, they cannot possibly actually hold up the lack of depth and sacredness. And I think when you're being asked to go through any collective trauma, whatever that might be, and we're certainly not the first uh, round or generations of species, this species to go through that, you're being asked to to find love for one another and you're being asked to reorient how the systems orient because they're not around us, they're not around the planet, they're not around love, they're around extraction and they're around more and more and more. And I've never seen, honestly, so many people actually talking about that. You know, I always wanted to deconstruct the systemic nature of relationship. But I mm -hmm. think when you begin any journey of deconstruction of whatever system has held yourself hostage, you can't help but then, I mean, you know, that's what they call it, the red pill. Like, you've been fucking red pilled and you can't undo a lightning bolt to the soul right. that wakes it up. Right. You have right. to accept the invitation and you can't pretend you didn't get it. I remember Paul Selig, I was listening to his book called The Book of Truth. Yeah, I know that book. Oh, man, that book was that's great. Yeah. Radical. That book made me quit drinking. And it was because he said, like, you can only alchemize the lowest level of truth that you're willing to hold. And I remember thinking, like, I have no idea what you just said. What does that mean? <laughs> and but there was something in it. And he said, like, it's like being a fish swimming in an aquarium who learns about the ocean. Right. And then goes back to the aquarium and pretends they don't know about the ocean. And. I think that that's what has, a, we've all been in this aquarium, whatever that might mean for us. And we've gotten a taste of the vastness and the complexity and the beauty. And, oh man, it's so rich when you touch it. And I, my hope is that uh, the next 10 years are actually about that fruitful sort of space of swimming in the vastness of, of whatever the ocean of humanity might be. And... I mean, I hope I get to live for the moment uh, that it experiences its rapid tumbling, but I think that's already occurring. Hey, it's Nathan. Do you have the earbuds in your in your ears right now? You're listening to this podcast on earbuds. You have your cell phone in your pocket, right on your hip. Well, consider that over the past couple decades, we have developed technologies that are strong enough that we can access anything that has ever been known anywhere in the world in the blink of an eye. That requires powerful modems, and those modems are putting out low-dose radiation all the time. So you go to bed, you've got your cell phone sitting you know, inches from your head on your nightstand. You wake up, you put your earbuds in, you've got your modems millimeters from your brain, you've got your cell phone in your pocket next to your gonads, your router's running day and night, you've got 40 other routers in your neighborhood, and everything is, you're just swimming in this sea of EMF. Well, that low-dose radiation you're being exposed to at all times can be harmonized through some technologies, but you need to be considerate of blocking as much of that radiation from these powerful modems that are sitting millimeters from your ears or centimeters from your gonads. And the best way to do that, the best product on the market for this, is WaveBlock stickers. They make these stickers that go on your earbuds and on the back of your cell phone. They block more radiation than any other product on the market. And, um, and I can't recommend them enough. So go to waveblock.com, enter code BELOVED25, and save 25% off of your pair of the sleek stickers offered at waveblock.com. Protect your brain, protect your babies, protect your gonads, do the right thing, and go to waveblock.com. Let's get back now to my conversation with Mark Groves. 
Yeah, I mean, I think at the heart of that that tendency for the fish to go back into the aquarium, right? That forgetting. It's. I actually don't think it's a forgetting. I think it's there's a a level of forgetting, perhaps, but there's also a, a cognitive dissonance that wants to make it less so, right? It's sort of like when you right. take a deep, I don't know, like a have a plant medicine ceremony with you know you're with ayahuasca or mushrooms or you have some sort of breakthrough through your tai chi practice or yeah hell you you attended the birth of your your baby your partner gives birth and you have this incredible reckoning with some spiritual transformation that you can't unsee now right but then you go back and you somehow can't see the world through that lens actively like it's not a conscious yeah, right. way to see the world but in that moment, you could be damn sure that there's a God. And I don't mean like the Catholic God that shames you for, you know, whatever. Yeah, forgetting the boner. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I mean the spirit source, whatever. You're like, I got, an, I got a fraction of that and I can't unexperience that. It's a now, it's a part of me. But cognitive yeah. dissonance, the brain can do an, an excellent job to keep you going down this rat race or whatever metaphor you want to use, which I guess kind of has the appearance of forgetting. The problem is that way back in the day, there were awe-inspiring things every moment. Walking in the woods is enough to bring that back. But instead, yes. we're so trained on our phones and on our computers. And I'm not saying digital technology is the worst or anything like that. But when that is everything that we're seeing all day long, we forget to look at the stars. Hell, there's too much light pollution in most cities to even see the stars. But if you go out to your part of, you know, your neck of the woods, you were just out in Idaho. Like, man, you go out into the woods there and you're going to see the Milky Way. You're going to see a million more stars than you could have ever seen, you know, in LA or, or whatever else. So I guess kind of what I'm getting at is that people are not acting as if they remember, but they do remember. Yes. There, there's yeah. an active and a passive concerted effort of the brain to say that was too much. It's like Aldous Huxley's cerebral reducing valve. You can't have that flood of information at all times. In order for you to do the day-to-day the -day thing, Ugh. you got to just keep your blinders on and run straight line down, down the road until you find yourself one day remembering that, whether it's through a meditation or somebody hugs you in that right way and you feel unconditionally loved by your whoever partner your child and then you remember like oh yeah i don't have to I, I there is the ocean out there i don't have to be in this aquarium this aquarium is great for the moment but there's also all of this other stuff out there and i think that when we can start to just identify and, and, and distance ourselves from this cognitive dissonance then it becomes very very easy to love thy neighbor and to mm. and to to carry forth that brief moment that you got to see behind the veil, you got to see the wizard behind the curtain, so to speak. Yeah, that correlation, that just made me sort of bridge something, which is the dissonance, if you can acknowledge the dissonance of your own gap between who you actually are and how you're actually being. Right. If you can acknowledge and hold the dissonance of that, you can hold the dissonance of all of the systems that don't make sense, all exactly the information, right. right? Like it's, and again, that comes back to capacity, right? From a biological level, can your nervous system hold the complexity of those things, which is all the beautiful self-work that breathwork does, that cold plunging does, that, you know, nourishing your body with literally things like 
green juices, you know, like eating good vegetables, eating good foods, but being in community. That's right. All of it really just allows you this really safe space to say, be all of you, like in the messy and the all the, because I don't know how anyone can really feel like when you're consuming the information or the things that are going on in the world, that if you're like really beginning to pay attention, you can start to see the inconsistencies, which is so destabilizing. You know, I think about, you know, to give sort of a medical example, I remember when I first researched the act of circumcision, you know, I think that subject is so challenging for people Mm. to navigate because really ultimately that's just religion masquerading as medicine. And the amount of collective trauma that actually occurs from that, especially in, obviously in men, and it's genital mutilation. And what's so interesting is the dissonance, if you're someone who's been circumcised, can be too much to even hold the possibility that you've been harmed for no other reason other than a ritual. And the other side of it being, like if you're a parent who's done that, that we can't both hold the truth of that there's new information that will allow us to make a different decision. And I don't say any of this to shame anyone for making that decision or experiencing it. I say, can we actually hold that shame that is actually healthy? The experience of, oh, I could have made a a bigger, a different or whatever decision Mm -hmm. that, that can you hold the information to allow it to transform you? And then you transform the systems. I mean, that's the same because where it hits a roadblock is that the people who can't engage right. in the truth of the information that like, if you're really present to it, you can't not agree. Like, I don't know how you can't. And I'm not even willing to even entertain other than the dissonance that's cre- trying to be resolved. And when you want to look at where you're stuck, just look at where your addictions are. Because addictions are always formed through the trying to numb the pain of awareness. Right. Right. That's Gabor. Yeah. Gabor Mate says that of like, Mate, the wrong yeah. question is why the addiction? The right question is why the pain? Mm. Mm. I know I took that down the uh, left turn of circumcision, but I think it's such a powerful yeah. story of, of where systems are actually not doing the best for us, but gaslight and pretend that they are. I just, when I first discovered that, I couldn't, I watched the documentary American Circumcision. And it was fucking mind-blowing, wow. you know? It was mind-blowing. The producer of that movie's a Jewish man. And uh, Brendan, I forget his last name, but it's such an incredible... It's on Netflix, the documentary. Check it it's out. incredible. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen it. I mean, obviously, I've done way more circumcisions than I'd like to brag about. But in residency, right. that was a part of your training. And you could opt out. But at the time, it was like, I've got too many other fires. too. Yeah, it was just like... and I And I'm circumcised. So it was like... I guess it's okay. And I always thought like, if I had a little boy, would I have him circumcised? And now, of course, my answer is hell to the no. That, that is a, a very, I think a very poignant example, Mark. And I also want to add that, I think it was Terrence McKenna. I was just on the phone with my friend, Chad Johnson, I was telling you about, he's this permaculturist. I call him the soil wizard. I don't know if he knows I call him that, but I, I will call him that. <laughs> it's a great title. Yeah. He, he's this really unique guy that uh, he, apparently he met and and like one of his mentors was Terrence McKenna. Oh, wow. It was the, uh, you know, the stoned ape theory. Yeah. I mean, like we're talking OG psychedelic research from the 60s. And he said that uh, he sat with Terrence McKenna and just hearing Terrence talked, uh, uh, speak made him feel like he was in a, in a medicine journey. 
And it was wow. his use of language and, and, and what Chad took from that. He's like, I actually think I stole this from Terrence. And this is actually what launched his whole career as a permaculturalist and landscape, I don't know, architect, whatever you want to call it. He said, nature rewards courage. So just like, let that sink in for a second. It took me a little while for, for it to really puncture through what he was referring to in our conversation was that you go out there and you give nature the resources and nature will create something beautiful, but you have to have the courage to allow it, to surrender to it everything. And if we were then to apply that to human beings, that surrender piece is, I don't want to say it's at the heart of, because that sounds kind of cliche but it is relevant to every part of this conversation around the world that we want to emerge into. Mm. If we're going to see anything change, whether it's inside or outside, whether it's in our control or out of our control, we have to be willing to have some courage in order to surrender to that process. And that could be addiction. It could be changing systems. It could be loving your neighbor. And while that might be the most confronting right-wing, left-wing upside down, whatever, who cares? It doesn't really matter. We're all human beings. We're all those fish in the aquarium. And we've all had glimpses of the ocean, but it takes some courage to identify the cognitive dissonance as separate from who we are and why we're here. And once we can do that, it allows us to take the brakes off of our judgment, our shame, our guilt that's aimed inward. And it's aimed outward at the people that we think are the worst people in the world, whether it's Tony Fauci, Joe Biden, Barack Obama, who the hell cares? Like we are all just people, but we have to be able to identify that cognitive dissonance and and ask ourselves, is this me or is this something that I'm afraid of? Mm. Afraid of looking at closely. Yeah. Well, think about how much fear political identities create. I mean, gosh, Donald Trump. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter. Like there are, there's always an oppositional thing that's informing us of what we're actually afraid of. Yeah. As opposed to like, confronting the truth of what something might represent you know i think of um like so much of our journey is spent running away from the truth of the story instead of that pivot is really running towards it and realizing that liberation lives in that actual act and right makes me think of a line from francis weller who's a psychotherapist and calls himself a soul activist and i i don't think he could be more right about his his title it's pretty great he says that soul activist i like that yeah (laughs) and he says that we spend our lives looking for belonging. And at some point, we have to actually become the place of welcome. And I really think that sort of encapsulates the whole work of community and connection is like, when you begin the act of welcoming back the parts of yourself that you've exiled, you've done that within yourself. And then you are again, able to do that with the people around you by welcoming them i forget what tribe it is but there's a tribe that when someone breaks a rule or does something wrong they actually sit them down in the middle of a circle and everyone tells them how amazing and beautiful and wonderful yeah yeah i read that recently somewhere too i don't know where i got that from isn't that so beautiful like you think about how different that is you know like someone gets divorced in our family and often religiously or even just culturally yeah we're we shame them as opposed to being like, they actually should be the ones educating, (laughs) you know, like how did it happen? Tell us what you learned. Yeah. You know? And then what it does is it invites them to integrate. Uh, But the community itself becomes one that is mature Mm -hmm. and has gone through the sort of threshold into maturation and adulthood, which 
you know, is really about celebrating the essence of everybody and, and also having standards and boundaries and values and orienting around those through the way the community moves through the world. Yeah. I wonder if I just read that in a book I'm reading that's actually based on the work of Byron Katie. It's all about our mm-hmm. judgments, right, on, on how other people's judge or actions impact us and how we react to that and how that can either in, enforce a relationship or can completely, very rapidly degrade the trust in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And the, the work was Byron Katie's thing. And I, I think it's like so good. four questions. Is it true? Can you absolutely know that it's true? Like, what is your reaction when that thing happens? Yeah, how does it make you feel believing that's true? Yeah, and, and who would you be w- without that reaction or that thought about this person? And I think uh, if we all could just do no that <laughs> five times per day, imagine how we would not be using resources to blow each other up. We would actually be using resources to mm-hmm. build one another up. And to answer my own question from before, that's where I'd like to see the world go. That's what I'm hoping for, is that me and you and everybody else can start to really focus on what am I here to do? Who am I? And how can I enforce my community and empower my community? And when I walk through the door, I want them to like that I'm there as opposed to, oh boy, here it comes, another criticism or whatever else. And that's something that we all have to work on. Nobody here is perfect. Nobody here is the Buddha. Although the Buddha is all of us, I suppose, in, in many ways. <laughs> I like it. We are nothing and we are everything. We are nothing and everything. Yeah. All at once. Yeah. Well, my friend, we're at an hour here. I told you we could go for hours, but uh, we may have to save the rest for part two. I like to keep these packed in. And that was enough for an entire lifetime of reading, I think. Any, uh, any final thoughts that came to mind in that conversation? Love to love to pick your brain one last time. You know, I think the one thing that we all like sort of doesn't open the doorway, but I think makes it a lot easier to walk through whatever that might mean for somebody is to really learn grace, Mm. to learn grace for oneself, to be tender with oneself, to learn admiration. You know, the word that I always think of, though, is grace, because it's really sort of like the lubricant that acts in the space of the frictions of ourselves and the world. and when we can have grace and forgiveness for who we've been, how we've shown up, uh, then we can actually learn from those things as opposed to ignore them or try to hide them away in a pretty little box that we'll never look at again. Mm. And the really the gift is to bring the box out and to ask it, what can you teach me? How would you transform me? What would you ask of me? And really all of life's most challenging, painful circumstances are all offering that. And that's why I always think in the space where the greatest trigger lives, where all the greatest frictions live, is actually where all your wisdom is. It's just, we're afraid to look at it because we've been taught that there's something wrong with it rather than it actually being sort of the fountain of expansion. Yeah. You know, Brene Brown's work just came to mind in the vulnerability piece, especially as men. We're one man talking to another man in different stages of our life, but where I feel like we're kindred spirits. And I feel like that vulnerability piece is tied into that, like being able to look at these emotions and label them, acknowledge them, integrate them. If we're not willing to do that, and if there are bad and good, you know, good and evil right. within us, which there, there are, but it's not, it's not that our emotions fit neatly into one of those categories. It's how we utilize them and how we integrate them that is good and evil. And there's a lot, especially for strong, successful men, 
there's a lot to be gained in our society from people being willing to reflect on what you just said, <clears throat> which requires some courage and requires you to be a little bit vulnerable. If you can appreciate why you're, why you're feeling certain things and, and work with them as opposed to pushing them away, there's, there's a lot of power there. Sovereignty. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. To welcome them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Toenail, for causing me pain. Now I know I got to trim you. It's that type of thing. It's something. Thank you. I know that pain actually quite. <gasps> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a pain in the toe. <laughs> Mark Groves, thank you so much for coming, my friend. We'll get together again and do another recording. Uh, just feel so blessed to have met you. I, I echoed your, your sentiment towards the end of 2021. You're one of my favorite new friends, and I'm so grateful to be connected to you and your, and your partner. Ah, same right back at you. And, uh, you know, I have so much gratitude for your friendship and, and being able to share this space and conversation uh, that has never been had before. And I think that's such a gift. And I can't wait to have another unique and new one with you next time, yeah, both yeah. on my podcast and on yours. Yeah, we'll just have to do round two. 2022 like is the year of round twos. So we'll make it. I like make it. it I like it. Just not COVID, but everything else, let's do it. Yeah. 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 Fuck that stuff. Let's, let's move <laughs> on. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks, man. Uh, thanks again for coming. And um, I'll put all the stuff we talked about in the show notes. There'll be a rich list of references and links for people to enrich their, their uh, journey here. So thanks again. Perfect. Thanks, man. I hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Mark Groves. He's become a dear friend of mine, and I think that he brings a lot to this conversation. I just I think that we need more men that are willing to step back with a little humility, reassess their surroundings before action. And I think that our relationships really suffer as a result of reaction versus humility and coming to the conversation with our partners, parents, friends, clients, patients, whatever, with a little humility and a little willingness to, to, to look inside and do the, the work with our shadow and integrate those experiences before we uh, start flipping our lids, you know? So Mark Groves can be found at Create the Love on Instagram. The Mark Groves podcast is exceptional. Absolutely recommend it. You can get that everywhere that you listen to, to uh, podcasts. My name is Dr. Nathan Riley, MD. And my practice is BelovedHolistics.com. I work one-on-one with patients. I also have a collaborator program where you can have an MD consultant to help you out with anything under the sun that arises in your your care of your patients and clients. So you can find me there. The show notes, including all the ways in which to engage with Mark, can be found at HolisticObJoannePod.com. Mark has put together some great courses and... um, Everything that he touches is gold because he he puts himself into it. He's not pandering to the market. He's just putting it out there. And uh, I wish more people were like him. So I feel very honored and blessed to call him my friend. As always, nothing you hear on the show is a replacement for the advice given to you by your medical care team. This is entertainment and informational at its best. It will always be that way. We are a 501c3 any donations you make to the show will help us keep up and running. we got plenty of goodies to send you as thank yous. You can do all of that at the website. If you like what we're putting down, go to iTunes and leave us a review. Leave us a five-star review if you like what we're doing. And um, that will also be so helpful in getting more people to hear this amazing podcast. For now, that's all, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. I'll see you next time. Take care.